0: Our reading today is from Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 13. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, we're going to jump right into Romans. And so if you have your Bible, turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 9 through 13. If you do not have a Bible, go ahead and slip your hand up and keep it raised high so that someone will be able to get you a copy of God's word and if you don't own a copy, please keep the copy that we are handing out to you. Um, one thing I forgot uh, to, to do when, when Tony was up here is uh, I was going to give him the check. <laughs> um, so I forgot to do that. So I just gave him the check, and I want to let you guys know in terms of uh, the resources that we gave them, it was $27,830 for the portion that went to the Rio Vista Center. So thank you guys. Yeah. <laughs> so... The 9 o'clock service, I gave him the check, and everybody clapped, and I was like, hey, you got to give that back to me because we got to do it again at the 1045. And then I totally forgot to give it to him, so (laughs) that's on me. (laughs) All right, Romans chapter 8. So far in Romans chapter 8, what we've been looking at is the role and life of the Spirit in the Christian. And we're going to continue to look at the role of the the Spirit in the life of the Christian this morning as we look at these few verses. And then next week, we're going to come back. Next week is my favorite verses in the entire Bible, uh, talking about God's adoption of us. It is going to be a great time, but that's next week. Uh, Today, we're going to look at these verses. And so beginning in verse 9, it says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. There is something that I would say in my experience um, watching Christians, young and old, that we suffer from and is that we we have a problem, um, we have a nearsighted problem. Meaning, we see the things that's in front of us, we see the day-to-day, but we have a hard time seeing what's what's, uh, in the future. We have a hard time seeing what God has promised for us, um, both spiritually as well as in our own reality. Here's what I mean by that. If we look in the Bible, we see that there's a promise of God, That he himself is going to come to fully and restore all of creation in the work and through the work of his son Jesus. And for those of us who are in this room that trust in Christ, that that is our spiritual reality and destination. Like it's going to happen. And so if we know that, what ought we to be doing now knowing that reality? But, But the problem is many of us only make decisions with the things that are in front of us and not seeing what's before us. We, we do this in relationships, we do this in jobs, uh, we, we, we do this in parenting, that we just look at our kids at a particular age and we go, we're going to make you the best kid you could ever be for an eight-year-old, not thinking that we're not raising children that remain children. Um, we're raising children that they may be adults. Let me say that again. Um, we're not raising children so that they remain children. We're raising kids that are kids now so that they one day may become adults. And I'm not saying that um, that's something I've experienced with some of our 20-somethings here, that they're delayed adolescence. I'm not saying that, right? <laughs> I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that, that's a problem that we had. And then you have some people go, wait a minute, spiritually, you're talking about heaven? Are we supposed to be thinking about heaven and, and, and let that um, flow through our lives? If we thought about heaven, we, we wouldn't do anything here. If we thought about the kingdom of God coming, we wouldn't do anything. In fact, I'd be in my room all day long, praying hours and hours and just reading my Bible, and I wouldn't do anything. It's like, really? Name three people you know who do that. Name one person you know that does that, right? Um, here's what C.S. Lewis says in, in communicating this. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, he's going to say it in a second. He's dead, so it takes him a while to, you know. <laughs> if you read history you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built up the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on the earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this one. Hear this. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you will get neither. aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you're going to get neither. He said, the men and women of this world who did the most for this present reality were those who were fixated on understanding that the kingdom of God was coming and that Christ himself was going to fully restore all things. And that those of us who are in Christ will be a part of that. And so if we know that, what ought we to be doing now? Or or, or think of it even this way when it comes to just our lives. If you have a goal that you're setting for yourself in a career, you set that particular goal of who and where you want to be, and then you begin to look backwards and say, okay, I need to do this, I need to not do this, I need to do this, I need to not do that. In fact, there's there's a guy by the name of Steve Covey who writes a book essentially looking at the seven best habits of highly effective people in the world. And, and habit number two is what he calls uh, starting with the end in mind. And so he kind of says, you know, think about your funeral. Like, what do you want people to say to you at your funeral? Which I know for me, and maybe some of you, that seems weird, right? It's like, I already struggle enough with what people think about me now while I'm alive. Like, why would I <laughs> want to think about what they're thinking about me when I'm dead? Like, I'm dead. Like, you know, I'm fine with that. But you get the point, right? It's like, what, what, where do you want to be? Find out where that is practically in your life, type of marriage you want to have, type of career you want to have, type of person you want to be, and then live backwards there. Th- this is how it happened for me. When I was a sophomore in high school, I just completed my football season and my basketball season, and both my basketball coach and my football coach simultaneously and set me down, and, and, and my basketball coach starts talking and said, hey, you need to know this. Um, you're a good athlete, but you're never going to play basketball after high school. And I'm like, you, you don't know that. And he goes, you... you you are 5'9". I said, coach, I'm 5'11". He goes, no, we listed you at 5'11". You're (laughs) (laughs) 5'9". We lied about that. (laughs) This is the truth. You're 5'9". And then my football coach said, "Um, you you could play college football. I said, really? And he said, yeah, you could play it. No, here's with somebody who had already played college football, who was a man who I looked up to, who was looking at me and said, looking at what you have, you, you could get here. That you, you could be there. You can get a full athletic scholarship to go to a Division I college school. Um, however, he said, if that's the case, do you want that? I said, yes, I want that. He goes, okay, you're going to have to do something with your grades, right? Like, the GPA is terrible. The classes you were taking, you should have taken three years ago. I mean, maybe read a book or two. We, we, got, we have to get you on the right path, right? It was very, very honest, um, very, very, very honest <laughs> to be able to get me there. Now, here's why I preached about that. Here was somebody who had already been there, who saw my position and said, if you want to get there, okay, there's some things that you're going to have to move out of your life. There's some things you're going to have to add into your life in order for you to get there. Meaning, because of where you want to be, there's some things you've got to do today. J- Jesus says it this way. He's, when talking about discipleship, Jesus says, no one who goes to build a house doesn't count the cost. And he says, likewise, when you, when you decide to follow Jesus... When you make a commitment to follow Jesus, you you, you better understand what Jesus has said and who he is and what he's going to do. And and what he said is that we should follow him. What he's done is he's lived and he's died and he's been raised from the dead and that that he's going to come back and fully restore all things. And so we need to understand that. And now how do we live into that matters. And so what C.S. Lewis was talking about there. And what we're talking about today is how do we understand and live with our eyes fixed on heaven, on the kingdom of God, and then yet get earth thrown in? Or or language we use around here that was coined by a man by the name of George Ladd is how do we live in the already but the not yet tension? The already is what Jesus said when he came into this earth. The kingdom of God is here. It's already here. And here's how it's here. It's by the Holy Spirit. And every single one of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit is there. The kingdom of God is now reigning in you. But then there's not yet, meaning there's still sin, there's still brokenness. Things are not the way they're supposed to be. It's already because the Holy Spirit is in you. You trust in Jesus. Not yet because you sin, I sin, we sin, this world is broken. And so there's this already but not yet. Already aim heaven. Not yet. Um, get earth thrown in. And if you look at these verses here, it breaks down in that way. The first few verses are the already, what the Spirit has already done and has already promised. And then the last couple of verses are the not yet, meaning when we live in response to what the Spirit has already done in our life, and we live in the tension of the already and not yet, this is how we ought to live. And so again, picking up in verse 9, um, speaking of the already, Paul says, You, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the Spirit. In fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. Here's what Paul is saying. You, however, and he's responding to verse 8. Verse 8 had said, where we ended last week, that those who are, um, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That those who have rejected Christ, rejected the gospel, they cannot please God. They could do some good activities. They can even mimic and look like Christ's likeness But when it comes to a vertical relationship of being one with him, if they've rejected Jesus, they do not have that. But then he says, you, however, the spirit is in you. He says, you are. And there's something warming and something deeply beautiful about hearing you are. Because that's identity, And that's not identity that you went after. That's not identity that you've been chasing for or you work to. That's an identity that is God-given. You are in Christ. The spirit of Christ is in you. Now, some of us, we are needs-to people. That we're we're motivated by needs-to. And so when we want to do something, it's what we need to do. We motivate others that way. And then many of us, we just need to know who we are. And once we understand who we are, now we know that our doing flows from our being. Here's what I mean by that. Um, I've been telling you about this relationship I've been having with t-ball, or coach pitch baseball with my son and watching, watching this. It's kind of a weird experience for me being a dad watching baseball because I'm like, I'm a dad watching baseball. When did this happen, right? And so my kid, we signed him up, Noah, and we're driving him to the first practice, and he's crying. He's crying. And I know how intense I can get over sports. I really do, unfortunately. I know how intense I can get. Now, I could either say, I know that I could probably be like, come on, son, like, you gotta do this, man. You're a steward. You better get it together, right? And I can get intense. Like the other night when he didn't hit, he didn't get a chance to eat. So, no, no, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> we shoved it underneath his door. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So we're driving over to this practice, and he's crying. And I'm like, dude, why are you crying, buddy? And he said, uh, you know, I'm the only four-year-old. It was a five, 6 league, and he hadn't turned five yet. And I said, you'll be fine, man. He goes, no, they're going to know how to hit, and they know how to um, get the ball. And then I said, okay, Noah, um, you already know that. Remember how we were hitting in the backyard? You already know how to hit. Remember how we were getting those ground balls? You already know how to do that. You'll be just fine. You'll be just fine. Now, what I did was I spoke truth in his life. Now, if my son didn't know how to do that, by the way, I wasn't going to lie to him. Like, no, Noah, you're like, you're like, you know, Frank Thomas, dude. No, 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 no. You're, you're Jackie Robinson, <laughs> right? No, right? That's not, I was just telling him what is already there. And then he stopped crying. He goes, really, Dad? And I said, really? And then he was excited, and he's been excited ever, ever since then. Um, some people, when you tell them who they are, because we naturally don't know who we are, that we need somebody else to tell us. Because everybody else is telling us lies about who we are. And we're believing those lies. We are what we do. We are what people think of us. We are what the grades we get. We are how our family treats us. We are, we are, we are. No, no. God says, no, no, no. You are in Christ. And the Spirit is in you. And that's a blessed position that will never be changed. You didn't do anything to earn that. You're not going to do anything to lose that. You have that. And so what's already, living in the already, is understanding that what, what Paul says here is that the Spirit dwells in you. That means lives in you, and he comes in to make his home in you. He's not just a visitor, someone who's a house guest who's going to leave. No, he's there forever, and he's going to take your life and begin to transform your life. As Paul says, you are already in Christ. He concludes verse 9 with saying that anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. He's saying if you believe in Jesus, it's because the spirit of God is in you. If you don't believe in Jesus, the spirit of God is not in you. He's just saying there's two different types of people. Those who believe in Jesus who therefore have the spirit. Those who do not believe in Jesus, therefore who do not have the spirit. Like, that's it. He says you have the spirit. And he's trying to comfort him. This is already. Well, he continues here in verse 10. He says, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse 10, he says, but if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Here, here's, I want to um, clarify something here because it says in the Spirit and the Spirit all the way through Romans 8. But then you get to verse 10, and it says if you are in Christ. Um, and there could be a little bit of confusion there, so let's, let's try to clarify that. When he says in the Spirit and in Christ, he's not saying that the Spirit and Christ are interchangeable. Um, that, but the, what we understand about the, the Godhead is that they're unique, different persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying is that the Spirit... And Christ, the Son of God, communicate to us the benefits of salvation. That the Spirit applies the work of Christ in our life. And both are saying amen to the benefits of salvation in which we have in Christ. And so it's now if Christ is in you, Paul says, already the Spirit dwells in you. What's already there, he says, is now the, the body, though dead because of sin, it says here in verse 10. Wh- when he says the body is dead because of sin, he's just talking about our reality. Physically and spiritually, Because of the effects of Adam and Eve's sin, because of brokenness in this world, what is known as the fall, the fall of mankind, is that there's this brokenness. And we see it in relationships, we see it in organizations, we see it in churches, we see it in our own lives. That though many of us in this room have already trusted in Christ, we're still sinners. And though our status has changed, we talked about that last week, that we stand before God righteous, that doesn't mean our nature has changed. We are still sinners. And so what Paul is saying is, though the body is dead because of sin, and he, and he concludes here in verse 10, he says the spirit is life because of righteousness. He's saying the spirit is bringing and giving you life and giving you the life of Christ in you. The spirit is forming the life of Christ in you. So even though you are broken and you are a sinner, you have already the spirit dwelling in you. And now what Paul says in verse 10 is that the Spirit has given you life. Jesus says it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. The enemy comes to steal, to rob, to kill and destroy. And Jesus says, but I've come that they may have life. And then he doesn't stop there. He goes, and have it abundantly. Like, the most. Like, Jesus is not saying, I'm going to give them kind of my spare change and go, here, have some life. Right? No, he says, I want to give you life and have it abundantly. And so he's not saying I'm giving you life when you do spiritual things, when you read your Bible, and when you pray, uh, when you go to church, when you fast. Those are the things I'll give you life in. But then when you go to school and you go to work and you purchase things and you save money and you have friendships and relationships, when you watch a Super Bowl game, I'm not giving life there. Those are kind of like the normal things. Only the spiritual things I'll give you life. No, that's called dualism, and the Bible doesn't teach that. Many of us naturally work in that way, that there are certain spiritual things and there are certain spiritual jobs, um, and those particular jobs are holy, and the rest of the jobs, they're just kind of like a means to an end. No, no. Jesus says, I came to give them life holistically. God has created us as holistic beings. He's created this whole world. Thus, he's going to redeem this whole world. And so when Jesus says, I've come to give them life, when Paul says in verse 10 here that the Spirit gives us life, that means in our relationships, when we grocery shop, when we change diapers, when we pray, when we read, when we listen to music, when we sing, as we watch the Super Bowl, the Spirit is giving us life to honor God in every area of life, in the name of Jesus. He's think this is already, the Spirit is dwelling in you, the Spirit has given you life. It's something that you have in you right now, that you can access by the Spirit. And so Paul, Paul gives us these two pictures, that you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you already, and you have the Spirit of God giving you life, and then he gets to verse 11. And in verse 11 is the transitional verse, where, where Paul goes from talking about already, what's already there, um, to now, in, le- in verse 11, we have both the already and the not yet. Let's read it. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. I-, I love what we have here. Let's break this down. He says, "If the spirit of him, him is God the Father, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he, God the Father, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you." What we see in verse 11, is that we have um, the view of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all at work in Jesus' resurrection. Um, The reason I want to point this out is when it comes to our walk as disciples, some Christians major on God the Father, beautiful teaching, sometimes at the exclusion of Jesus and the Spirit, and they have ministries and churches that are built off that. And they have some churches that that really, really emphasize Jesus, um, sometimes at the exclusion or minimizing the Father and the Spirit, we would be accused of that because we talk about Jesus a lot. And then there's some people who would have the Holy Spirit at the exclusion of minimization of, or minimizing of Jesus and the Father, and they have ministries and churches built off that. Um, what the Bible teaches us is that when it comes to salvation, it's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God appoints it, the Son accomplishes it, the Spirit applies it. Therefore, when it comes to our walk before the Lord, we have to understand that we have a Trinitarian God in whom we worship, who is at work in all of our lives, constantly. What Paul is saying here, and speaking of the already and not yet, he says, if the Spirit of him, the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit raising Jesus from the dead, he goes, if that happened to Jesus, it's also going to happen to you. Um, he's saying, here, here, here is something that is going to happen. Is that when Jesus lived in this world, just realize, you follow Jesus, you're going to be like him. He got spit on, got beat on, um, and then ultimately he died. They killed him. And then, they, then he went to, to the grave. He punked death. The spirit raises him up from, from the dead, right? Um, it, it's not in that translation in the, in the Hebrew, but um, <laughs> the new Hebrew says that. Jesus gets raised from the dead by the power of the Father, by the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, that's what happened to him. That's what's going to happen to you. One of the things that uh, recently, in the last two or three years, that I've been fascinated with is genetics. Is loving, seeing people, who they are, who they look like, oh, that's re- oh you're related to him, or you're related to her. That's weird, because you guys are married. Um, what, what's, what's happening right now, right? And, and, and then even, like, we find out more and more, they're finding that things are just closely related to our genes. Um, even dentists are saying that your cavities that you have um, are, are something that were passed down, essentially, as genetics. And so what that means is if your parents had a meme mug, you, you, you're going to have a meme mug, right? <laughs> Sorry, right? <laughs> Technology, you can, get, you, you can work on that. But, I mean, that's basically there. When, when I was a child, I was probably 11, 12 years old, and I hadn't started lifting weights or anything like that. And my dad was in the garage with his friends, and, and he was lifting. And it got to his chance, to turn, and they put all these weights on the, on the, on the barbell. And he got underneath it, and they were like, come on, come on, Big Stu. My, my dad, it was Big Stewart, Big Stu. He's much bigger than I am. <laughs> and so he gets underneath there, and he's got, like, his cutoff shirt on. His arms are huge, tats everywhere. And he just hits it. Wham, wham. He's got 350 pounds on it. Wham, wham. And he hits it a few times, and he gets up, and his boys are like, yeah, yeah. And he looked at me, and he goes, those, th- those jeans are in you, boy. That's our jeans. And I'm like, Yes! I'm going to be strong. <laughs> one day, right? One day, I'm going I'm to be like that, right? No. <laughs> sort of. <laughs> the difference in that story is that's potential. If I work really hard, if, if, if it's potential, I have the potential to get there. What we have here in verse 11 is a promise. It's done. Already, the promise is now. Not yet, is, but one day you will be raised with a glorified body. And what your glorified body will look like, I'm not exactly sure, but I do know this. It will have the full capacity to see and know Jesus for who he is. To see and know God for who he is. And to begin to see and know the other and love and serve the other just for who they are. Not for what we can get from them. I mean, that's what the Bible teaches us now even in the tension of the already and not yet, is to love God with everything that we have and to love our neighbor. But oftentimes, we're loving God to get things from God and we're loving our neighbor to get things from our neighbors. When we are raised, we will be able to see him and all his splendor and all his majesty and all his glory and we'll be able to love him for who he is and then love and serve the other, the neighbor, for who they are. So that's a promise, not yet. It's a promise now, already, but then we will receive it, not yet. We bank that on the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, like that's ours in Christ. And so Paul now transitions here, saying, here's what's already in heaven. The Spirit is dwelling in you. The Spirit has given you life and everything that you do when you submit to the Lordship of Christ. And now verse 11 is that there's this already you have a promise, that no matter what you go through physically and spiritually in this life, that you will be raised in a glorified body in Christ Jesus, but not yet. And so the question we have is, how do I live in that tension? And promise already, and the promise not yet, how do we begin to walk as disciples of Jesus in the midst of that that tension? Think about about your your own life, right? If, If you just took it practically now and you said, okay, if you took the you... Of today, February 2nd, 2014, knowing who you would be today, what would you go back <laughs> and tell the old you old you, right? Like some, yeah, you start laughing because you're like, "Oh man, it's funny you should ask, I' got this list, <laughs> right?" There's some things you would say, no, don't do this, don't, right, you would have, like, for me, I would say, okay, knowing what I know now, and hear me, I understand there's some dumb things you did in your past that you're going, you know what, God taught me from that, and I've learned it. Let's, let's just, for the sake of the illustration, what are those things? I'd probably first say, hey, Ricardo, old Ricardo, this is, um, this is the future you, dude. Um, don't date her, right, I mean, number one. Number two would be, like, learn Spanish. Number three would be, like, yeah, don't date her either. <laughs> Number three would be the baggier the jeans isn't the better. <laughs> and the number five would probably be, yeah, it's probably a good idea that you shouldn't date her either, right? Those are, those are, those are, those are, those are probably the five things. There's more things than that, right? But seriously, when you, when you go back to C.S. Lewis's quote there and you think about what he's saying, he's saying the men and women who did the most for now or who were obedient to what God gave them, what's in front of them, was the ones who actually looked further to what God had promised in their future. So the way that we are going to live the best life we can as believers in Christ Jesus now, um, but, but the things that are in front of us, is by looking to where God is taking us. Because once we have that view, now we can say, this doesn't need to be there, but this does need to be there. And so Paul gives us some practical things here, I believe, in verses 12 and 13 to know how to do that. So verse, verse 12, walking in the tension, it says this, so then, brothers, we are not debtors, or excuse me, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. So verse 12, you have that transitional phrase, so then, meaning in response to the already, understanding who God is and what he's done by the spirit, so then, it says, brothers, we are debtors. Or another translation may say, we have obligations. say, okay. But he says not to the flesh. And if you can recall last week's message, the flesh is just the realm of of sin. It's the kingdom of darkness. It's life as you would have it, apart from Jesus. He says, you you are no longer under that. We're not debtors to that. Another way that Paul says it in Romans 6, it says, um, you are dead to sin. Or he says it this way, sin does not have dominion over you. It doesn't have reign over you. Meaning, when sin says jump, we no longer have to say how high. We're freed from that. But he says, but you are debtors. And so, think of it this way. When we, my wife and I, when we were moving from Chandler to Tempe a few years ago, we lived in this single-family home. Now, in this development, the guy who, who made all these homes, made all these homes, and then 2006 and 2007 came, and the economy crashed, and then he did, like, fled the country. All right? No joke. And so we were paying this, this HOA fee for years, and then the community that our community was in part of said, hey, you guys don't know this, but this guy owed us, like, thousands of dollars, and so we have to sue you guys. Like, you don't have to. And so all of us in this, our little community, we had to get together, form a team, and then get a lawyer and try to figure it out. Well, we, we decided, hey, we're going to move. And what we're going to do is we're going to be honest. We're going to tell whoever buys our house, here's how much we're selling our house for, and here's what the HOA fee is, and then here's this lawsuit that's pending. Spell it out for them. Well, this gracious, loving family said, we want to buy your house. And we're like, sure. That's it, right? And so they bought the house. We, they bought the house. We fully disclosed everything. We were able to move. We're free from that debt. The other day, my wife was saying, hey, what do you think ever happened to that? Holly, don't think about it. <laughs> it's, not our, it's not on us. When it comes to, to, to uh, the kingdom of darkness, the penalty of sin, and the way that it, it, it exercised authority over us, Christ comes in and he pays that penalty. And so we no longer owe sin anything. We don't have to obey sin. We don't have to give ourselves to that. But we still are debtors. And so the question would be, who are we debtors to? And what type of debt did we pay? This is not something we pay God in order for him to love us. In fact, the debt that we have is a response to his love for us and response to the work of Christ. And that debt is a debt of gratitude of thanksgiving, of our lives being poured back out to him and to his purposes. And so when it comes to living in the tension, it's understanding that yet we are still sinners. Um, the kingdom of God has not yet come, and, but yet when it comes to our sin, Christ himself has already paid the price. And so every time we sin, we realize Jesus has paid it all. And so therefore what we owe him is gratitude. And it's something that we desire to do out of affections for who he is. And so in essence, the way that we take steps as a disciple of Christ is remembering the gospel. As the Spirit himself has already poured himself out on us, he dwells in us. The Spirit is giving us life. So then, brothers, we are debtors, but not to sin, but to God in gratitude and thanksgiving. And so the people of God should be the most thanksgiving people ever. That we look at people and we look at things and we're constantly saying, thank you, thank you, thank you God, thank you you, thank you NFL for having this awesome game today. Thank you, right? Like everything is, is just, it's just a thank you of praise. Primarily to God. Well, Paul, Paul doesn't stop there. Um, first, you see the gospel and you constantly remind yourself of the gospel and you become a person of praise and of gratitude to God. And then he gets even more practical here in verse 13. In fact, so far... In Romans 8, Paul has not told us to do anything. There has not yet been any verbs. And we finally get to a verb here in verse 13. And here's what Paul says. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Let's deal with this first part of 13, 13a. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Um, There's two camps that would interpret this in two different ways. One camp would look at the first part of 13 and says, um, the spirit himself has poured out himself upon you. He's dwelled in you. And and the spirit gave you life, but you kept on sinning. And if you keep on sinning, God's going to come back and say, sorry, it was clear you didn't want this, and take it back. In essence, you lose your salvation. That's camp A. Can't be says the Spirit poured Himself out on you. The Spirit gave you the life of righteousness in all that you do. You keep on sinning, but since He is a loving Father, He's not going to allow you to keep on sinning. And the same way that good, any good loving father or mother would say, No, stop that, and if you don't, I'm going to snatch you up. Your household, you probably say different things, right? <laughs> So what happens is, is in camp B is that either God is going to do something, no matter what measure it would take, for him to actively allow or cause something in your life, no matter how bad it would hurt you to be able to see who he is and repent back to him and walk in his ways, or he will just take you out of here. Um, whether it's camp A or camp B, Camp A, you can lose your salvation when you continue in sin. Camp B is there's no way that a Christian will continue because God will discipline them or take them out. Doesn't matter which camp you're in um, because it doesn't mitigate the warning. Whether you find yourself in A or B, it doesn't matter. If you are a Christian and you see this, it doesn't take away the warning of saying if you continue in presumptuous sin, you're going to die. If you never, those of you in this room who are not Christians, if you never see and trust in the grace of God as visibly given to us in Christ Jesus and give your life to him because he gave his life for you, so the end of that is death. This whole theory, right, and, and with young people today, this YOLO, like you only live once, one, stupid, and um, two, it's a lie. You're going to live. It just depends on what address you're going to have. Like, there's a destination It depends on what address you have. And so, when it comes to Christians, when we read this text, what happens is we, as Christians, many of us, what we do is we gauge our motivation of how we should pursue God off how we're sinning or how much we're sinning. And so, we find ourselves sinning a lot, then we're going to pursue God even more. And a lot usually means whatever the quote-unquote big sins you ever notice, those of you who have been around Christianity for a while, that there are unwritten rules of like these sins are definitely bigger than these sins? Like, how hey, did you do the white lie? Oh, don't even worry about it. Doesn't matter. Who cares? Did you kill somebody? <laughs> <laughs> and usually what it is, it, it, it's usually sexual sins to some degree. Um, it's usually gross addictions that you may have to some degree. We go, those are bad. And what happens as Christians is you we go, well, I don't have any of those. And then we have these acceptable sins that we hold on to. And and therefore, since we don't have big sins, we have no motivation. Know what that's produced in us? Laziness. Laziness. We love the indicatives, what God has done. And since we're a church that preaches grace, God has done everything he can on our behalf in spite of us to make us right before himself. What we fail to realize is that he still called us to do something. That though we are human beings and God has given us our identity, once we understand who we are, our belief will shape and dictate And motivate what we do. That the Bible gives us all sorts of things to do. But if we're not sinning in this list, then, you know, I'm just, I don't know. I've kind of heard that before. I've already been there before. I know what that's like. I'm just, and it's apathetic, but it's lazy. And the seven deadly sins, it's called sloth. And in fact, there's a book that I have been reading this year called Reordered Loves, Reordered Lives by a guy by the name of David Nog was a professor out in Dallas. And speaking to this idea of lazy Christians, um, he says this: God bores us or seems insignificant, whereas other loves capture our interest and attention, excite and energizes us. Meaning anything else we will give ourselves to, except for pursuing Jesus. He says slothful people forget church, avoid Scripture, refuse repentance, rarely pray, reject fellowship, don't witness, shun service, deride duty rebuff suffering, scorn theology, evade thought or meditation, and in general are repulsed by the religion and the religious life. Sloth, then, is a sin of omission in that it fails to find God supremely significant and attractive so as to pursue him enthusiastically. And you go, okay, I may not have these sins, but how many of you find yourself there? Paul says, here's the warning. If you continue... With an apathetic life, you may not be, you know, doing the big sins. But if you continue, Here, here's what we would do, right? We would say, you know what? I'm living with my girlfriend. No big deal, right? There's, there's no big deal with that. I'm going to marry her one day. Uh, no, 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 no. Not good. Um, you may say, I don't get drunk all the time, but today's the Super Bowl. I'm just going to get drunk today. Or, you know, it's going to be my birthday soon, or it's somebody's birthday somewhere, and so I can get, <laughs> I can get drunk today. we we laugh at that but like legitimately there's some of you who think that's okay not okay never you gratitude to god he pours his life out for you and you say oh so i can do what i want to do no no you're not a free agent you belong to him when the spirit dwells in you the spirit lives in you when the spirit gives you life it's not the life to do what you want to do it's the life to free you to do what you were made to do in christ jesus When it comes to us living in the tension, it's remembering the gospel, what Christ has done for us, and then understanding this warning. So, okay, what's the next next step? What do we do? How do we take the next step in walking in discipleship, living in between the already, what God has already done, and the not yet, what God's going to do? Well, we look at the second part of verse 13, and here's what Paul says. But, If by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. He says, if you continue to sin, you'll die. But if by the Spirit, meaning in the strength in which he provides, by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, then you'll live. You'll live. And there's three things when it comes to putting to death the deeds of the body. If you have a pen, if you have a marker, will you highlight 13? Just highlight that, right? If you borrowed one of our Bibles, highlight it anyway, and somebody else pick it up. Why is this here? Maybe God's speaking to me. Yeah. In fact, the whole Bible is him speaking to you, but yeah, all right? <laughs> is if you, if you have the Spirit in you, by the Spirit, put the death, the, the desires of the flesh. And that's also known as mortifying the flesh. If you, some Christians will call it that. And so here's three things you need to know how to do that. One, first, it's got to be aggressive. It's got to be aggressive. Second, realize it's, it's for life. It produces life. And then lastly, it's by the spirit. Um, if the, if the, you get the first two, but you don't have the last, it's meaningless. I Man, you have to understand it's by God's strength. So first, though, aggressive. It's got to be aggressive. Um, that means you've got to take markers and measures to go, whatever it is in your life that doesn't need to be there. Right, you've got to get it out quick. You guys have probably seen that movie, um, 127 or something like that. It's, it's by that guy. Um, it's about a guy named Aaron Ralston, I think. And he was a guy who actually worked here in Phoenix for a little bit at Intel and then moved back to Aspen, found himself in Colorado um, hiking or doing something that <laughs> only people like that do. Um, and he gets caught in between a boulder. And he's there for like five days, his arm's stuck. And he has this thought of like, I'm not going to live unless I cut off my arm. So he cuts off his arm. True story, right? Right? This dude is serious, right? He's like, I want to live, and if that means I have to live without an arm, I'll cut it off. Like, that's, that's, that, that's some serious stuff right there, right? I don't know what went through his mind, but it happened. Jesus says this way spiritually. He says, if your eye causes you to stumble, get your hand in there, gouge it out, and throw it away. Don't talk to it. Don't Just, just get it out, right? Take it away. Now, before you guys go away, we have a lot of blind people here. Um, <laughs> Jesus wasn't, being liter- he wasn't talking literally. He was just saying, um, that's how serious we should be to sin. Got to be aggressive. There are certain things that you guys are doing. There's certain people that you're with. There's certain people that you're around. There's certain habits that you've already formed. That if you don't get rid of them in your life, they they will kill you. Let me. They will kill you. You know what sin is? Sin is like a parasite. It only leaches onto something that's alive. God has created you beautiful. God has created you with value and dignity. Christ has come into your life and has redeemed that by the Spirit. Sin is still at work to try to get you to believe the lie. And many of us believe the lie. And we believe it again. We believe it again that we make habits out of it. And if you're not aggressive to get rid of it, it will kill you. Me personally, there was a moment in my life where I was a young Christian and I knew if I don't get rid of the friends that I'm around, I'm not going to be able to do this anymore. Because every time I'm around them, I know what I do. And this is bad. This is really bad. There's not a person in this room who hasn't woke up one morning and thought, what, why, why did I do that? I'm never going to do this again. You and your relationships, those of you who are not married, will never do this again. And know what? You do it again. You have to look at that and go, wait a minute. It's not, I do love you. Because I love you, I have to honor God. And Because I love my friends, I had to remove myself from these guys. It wasn't their issues. It was my issues. It was me. And when I found myself around them, it, I had more issues. And so I removed myself from them. I had to. It was the only way that I was going to be able to aim heaven and get earth thrown in. Many of us are aiming earth and we're getting nothing. Paul says, by the spirit, put it to death. Cut it off. Second thing, it's not just aggressive, but realize when you are putting to death sin in your life, it's for life. It's for life. Christianity is not this dull, boring, abstinence, no fun, killjoy religion. It's not a bunch of, just don't do this and you'll be okay, and then be bored the rest of your life until Jesus comes back, and then you'll sing forever, and it's going to be equally as boring, but at least you'll be in heaven, right? <laughs> Sounds like a youth camp, like, <laughs> message right there, right? It's like, no, that's not, that's not, that's not what Christianity is. Mm. God says, get rid of these things because sin is like a parasite. It's, le- it's just leeching, and it's sucking from you the life in which he's given you, that you've been created in his image. And so it's giving life. In fact, if you read with me again in verse 13, It says that if you, by the Spirit, put the death of the deeds of the body, you will live. Already the Spirit's poured His Spirit into you. Already the Spirit has given you life. Not yet. You don't have the resurrected life, but you have the Spirit to be aggressive against sin, and you have the Spirit to give you life. Has there ever been something in your life before where you've removed something only to fully live more? That you've you've abstained from something only to live more because of who you knew you wanted to be? I mean, because because sin right now is it's just leeching on you. the The picture that I have here is if any of you guys have read The Great Divorce by C. S. Lewis, or if you've even watched the play, uh, wh- there's a there's a scene there where there's a guy who's got this little dragon on him, and the little dragon is just killing him, and so the angel comes calmly and is like, hey, I can I, you know, angel's like real smooth, he's like, hey, I can take that dragon off of you, and he's like, well, can you? And he goes, yeah, if you just allow me to do it, I'll do it. He goes, no, 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 I don't, I, I don't want to want, no, no, I could do it. I no, I don't. Well, kind of take it. All right, and he goes to kill it. And he goes, "No, you're going to kill it." And he goes, "Yeah, that's, that's the only way to do it." He goes, "No," and he goes back and forth, back and forth. That's what we do with our sin. Like we leave windows open, meaning we know we should shut it completely, but we leave it open because we know. I know I don't want this, but I want this. And you have to, in the spirit, go, "No, no, lock it, close it." And so what happens in that in that story is finally the angel kills this little dragon. And what happens is a man comes alive. And not only does he come alive, but the dragon turns into this white stallion. He hops up on the stallion and just kind of rolls off, which is very, very C.S. Lewis-ish. But uh, <laughs> the, the, the picture is there. It's, it's to, to kill sin in order to give you life. In order that you may live, in order that you may live like Jesus. You know what, sin distorts not only your view of others, it distorts your view of you and distorts your view of the world. Even though you're a Christian, when you continue in it, when you don't fight it, when you don't put it to death by the Spirit, when you're not aggressive with it, that you're not even living the life that God's called you to live, the life that is your life, that He has for you, that the enemy is trying to rob and destroy. He can't take your salvation away, so what He will try to do by your own sin and by His influences is at least to impede your progress in understanding who you are in Christ. And so we're aggressive. We're aggressive with it because we know that when we fight sin, when we put it to death by the Spirit, that it gives us life. And then lastly, we realize that this battle is by the Spirit. He says, if you, by the Spirit, put to death. So there's the Spirit and there's you. And I I can't communicate exactly how this works. There's no neat theological sentence that I can say to you um, other than it's the Spirit, but then it's you. It's fully the Spirit and it's fully you. One writer said this way, it will never get done on your own. You need the Holy Spirit. However, the Holy Spirit will never do it apart from you. So it's both. And understanding it is a Spirit that begins to fan in the flames the gift that God has given you. It is a Spirit that allows you to be aggressive. It is a Spirit that says whatever open window is in your life, that you're able to shed it. Whatever relationship you know that needs to end today, it's ended. When you yourself begin to look at your wife and go, I am sorry. I have not been pursuing you. That you can look at your husband and say, I'm sorry. I haven't been pursuing you. But by God's spirit, I'm going to pursue you. When you can look at your kids and you go, I'm not disciplining you and encouraging you as much as I ought to in the name of Jesus. I'm going to do this. Whatever, Whatever it may be that you can now, by the spirit, say, I'm getting rid of these things in my life in order that I may live for God because his spirit is in me. Amen? The spirit is here to stay. It's a good thing. Already we have him. Already he's giving us life. And in the tension of waiting for the day when we will be raised in Christ Jesus, that we remember the gospel and we fight sin. Let me close with this illustration when it comes to the Holy Spirit. Sometimes we look at other people, other Christians. We all have Christians in our life that we look at and go, man, I wish I had their life. Man, I like, I like their life in Christ. It looks great. Like, they do all sorts of fun things in Jesus' name. I, I wish I had that. Now hear me, it's good to have other believers around. It's, it's, it's a fact we need it. And it's good to be inspired by somebody, even convicted by somebody. But you realize God created them to be them? And he created you to be you. He, he didn't create you to have somebody else's life. He created you so that you can have the life that he, that he created you for. And he gave you the work of Christ and gave you the spirit of Christ that he begins to pull out now through the gospel who you are. Sin begins to distort that. By the spirit, you put it to death. And so he says, no, don't go looking for somebody else's life. Understand what the Spirit is doing in your life. It's like this. Um, There was this TV show my wife and I used to watch, um, House, not House Hunters, something like House Hunters. It was two brothers, property brothers, property brothers, right? There's these two twins, good looking guys. And uh, what what they did is one twin was a realtor. And the other other twin was like a general contractor. He would kind of redevelop and and renovate homes. And so they would take a couple, which I wish that Holly and I were on this, but they would take a couple and they would say, hey, the realtor would go, let me show you all these other houses that you could either live in or when you come back home, the other brother um, has now decorated their house and renovated their house and so it's like a new house, though it's their house. What we we think what God wants is for us to leave who he's made us to be and out of our own personality, change our personalities and be somebody else. No, that's not Christianity. Like, that was my biggest fear of becoming a Christian because the only Christians I knew, give me some sly, were nerds, right? And listen, by all means, like, God has nerds, and I'm one of them now, but not the same as I thought. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to do that. I can't do that. Okay, I guess I'll do it. I guess I'll do it. And like, no, God doesn't want that. Putting together, putting to death sin is not killing your personality, it's redeeming it. It's not saying go have somebody else's personality. No, it's coming back and realizing the spirit has entered into your home. And he himself begins to remake it. Those of you who are married, if you lived in your house before your wife did when you got married, what happens when she moved in? She's like, oh, no. (laughs) That's not staying. That's not staying. That's not staying. That, whoever he is, he's not staying. Right? (laughs) Like, all out, and here's what we're going to do, right? When the Spirit comes in your life, he already is that he dwells with you. He lives with you, and there's some things in your life that he's looking at and going, no, 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 no. It may not have happened already, but it's going to happen. And he's the one that's transforming you. He's not saying, I'm getting rid of you. We're not objects of wrath. We're objects of transformation. And so with that, how we live in the tension is already not yet His promise. The Spirit is with us, and he's always going to be with us. And understanding that not yet, we will be with Jesus, and he will fully restore his kingdom. And we walk in the tension and believe in the gospel. And because we believe in the gospel and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we're aggressive with sin. We're aggressive with it because it gives us life, and we do it in the power of the Spirit. Amen? Let's pray.